invite you to turn with me to Zechariah. Zechariah, second last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah 1, verses verses 18 through 21. So we're focusing on the second vision now. And just a quick reminder of the context. Remember how God's people... They were in exile because they were worshiping idols. They were breaking the, the Sunday, the, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath at that time. And God sent them into exile because they were not listening. And they were scattered among the nations of Assyria and Babylon. Now they've come back and they no longer have a king on their throne. Right? They're under another king, a foreign king. And that's Darius of Persia. It's 20 years later now. They started rebuilding the temple, but they're discouraged. And they just see a lot of darkness. It's just dark times. And the Lord speaks to the people through his word. Now that word comes in the form of visions. Eight visions in one night. (laughs) There's eight visions in one night. So I'm sure that Zechariah probably didn't have a lot of sleep. He was participating in those visions and talking it was that kind of thing. Not a dream. A dream, you're passive. He was very much active and involved as he was hearing the word of the Lord as he was to pass it on to the, uh, to the people of God. A discouraged people. So we're up to um, verses 18 through 21. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? So he answered me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem, that represents the people of God. That represents the church there. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? So he said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. So on one hand, you see the horns, four horns. Who are these horns? What did they come to do? And then the four craftsmen. Who are these four craftsmen? And what did they come to do? And begin to see that the horns are no match to these craftsmen. And we're going to conclude by saying, you are God's craftsmen. How is that? Well, we're going to hopefully see that. You have a very special place in God's kingdom, in the building of this church. You know, this past week, there's been all kinds of news and all kinds of uh, reports about this very special meeting of the World Economic Forum. Where? Davos, Otherwise, you would never know the place. But Davos, Switzerland. Oh, you have the globalists, right? The important people, the elite, coming together. And the head of this organization is Klaus Schwab. This century may be known as the era of Klaus Schwab. That's what we're being told. What did Klaus Schwab say? With pomp and arrogance, he spoke to the globalists, the elites, of the world, and he says, the, the 
He doesn't can't, can't say the. He's German. The future belongs to us. The future belongs to us. And the theme of the entire meeting is history at a turning point. So they have big plans in mind for us, for the world, and it's really not friendly to the church, not friendly to the church of Jesus Christ. Two things here. The future does not belong to Klaus Schwab. It does not belong to globalist elites. It does not belong to us. Who does it belong to? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's king. First of all, there's no reason to panic, therefore, because the Lord Jesus can go like that. The second thing is, we have news for Klaus Schwab. The turning point in history occurred already. <laughs> it occurred already, way back, when the Lord Jesus came in the flesh, the first coming of Christ. Right? He, the Lamb who was slain, the Lion who has conquered, he's judgeworthy to govern the whole future course of history. Beautiful. He has reversed the curse. <laughs> He's overcome death. And now he has brought in the kingdom. And to all who believe in him, there's life. It's great news. That's the great turning point in history. And there's another, turn, another turning point in history coming. We await that one. And that's when Christ will return in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. And here... You know, we think about these things, we, if you think about it long enough, it can look very, very dark. And through the prophet Zechariah, God knows too that his people were very discouraged by the things they saw around them. It didn't look very promising. And God assures his people that in the midst of it, he's going to build his house, that he's the one on the throne, and he's going to continue extending his kingdom throughout the world. We saw that in the first vision. He's going to fulfill his promises. Because not only is he willing to, but he's able to. He's able and willing, and he will accomplish his promises. As a matter of fact, he's, to, do, to do that, he's going to come in the flesh, in Christ, so that he can pay for the sin of his people, and all authority belongs to him, to Christ, over all the world powers for the sake of his people. His people who easily feel insecure, shaken by the, the powers of darkness that they feel all around them. It's oppressive. When you think about it, it's oppressive. And now in the second vision, the vision of the four horns, the Lord shows you have no reason to be afraid. No reason to be insecure. You're, he secures your redemption in Christ. That's what he really shows here. He secures the redemption of his people. And we find, should find our security in him. right? In God's promises. And we should rest in that. And just continue to live faithfully. Believing in Christ. Just continue. Step by step. Faithfully. Trusting in the Lord. Oh yeah, the first part of the vision, very unsettling. Only four horns, and they're powerful horns. But that is unmatched, and followed by four craftsmen. And these four craftsmen, 
have the ability not only to terrify the horns, but also to cast them out. That's really the essence of what is being spoken here in this vision. We're going to see what the horns are and what the craftsmen are. But the horns, first of all, we're going to see that the horns scatter. That word scatter is very important. It's mentioned three times in these verses. Scatter, scatter, scatter. Okay? These horns, they scatter the church or they scatter God's people. That's what they're doing in this vision. And second of all, the casting out. You see the... the um, the craftsman casting out these horns. Okay, so what does all this mean? Well, let's open up the text. Let's open up God's word. And notice where, how, how uh, Zechariah begins here, verse 17, or verse 18, I should say. Then I raised my eyes and looked. Okay, he enters into that second part of the vision. Again, he's not dreaming. He's awake. He participates in what he sees. And the Lord's word comes to the people through this vision, which he gives to Zechariah. And what does he see in the vision? Immediately, he doesn't say anything about the Lord came to him. It just immediately, he just sees four horns. He sees four horns. It's dark. It's discouraging. What are these horns? Well, horns can be many things. It can be a musical instrument. It can be the horns on the altar in the temple. Uh, it can be horns of an animal. And there's reason to believe that this is the, the suggestion here. It's the, the horn that you see on beasts. And beasts in the scripture often represent nations, military powers, and, and kingdoms. So think of a horn on an animal like a rhinoceros. What does a horn do? If a, if a rhinoceros chases after you, you run. You get out of the way because it wants to gore you. Okay, these horns are very powerful, very arrogant, very proud. Common picture for military and political powers. Okay, to lift up the horn. You see that in verse 21, how they lift up the horn? The horn is lifted up. That means it was proud, it was arrogant in its own ability, in its own strength, in its own position. Horns in Scripture. Think of, for example, Daniel 7. We looked at this last year, last summer. Daniel 7, 7 through 8. We read a prophecy about the fourth beast representing Rome. Right? It's a beast, Rome. And the beast had ten horns. Well, those ten horns represent the ten imperial provinces of the Roman Empire. And it talks about, out from among those ten horns, there was a little horn, and now that little horn had eyes. And just a disgusting look, which probably refers to Nero, who would come. A mouth-speaking, pompous words, it says. But yeah, and then it falls by the exalted Son of Man, overthrowing all those horns, right? And he replaces them with his own kingdom. That's the vision of Daniel. So the horns represent nations, pompous nations, military powers, kingdom powers, national powers. And here in verse 19 of Zechariah 1, the church is scattered scattered by these dark powers which are there really to oppose God and oppose his people. Now, he says here, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Again, we saw earlier, the scattering refers to the exile. 
exile when God's people, when God's people Israel, were taken captive by Assyrians in 722 BC and by uh, Babylon in 586 BC, Israel and Judah respectively. And the Lord throughout history, and also today, he sometimes does use these horns, these political powers, right, to test the faith of his people. Right? Are you going to trust in me? You're going to trust that I have the victory? Right? Don't look around. Look up. And sometimes he does it because he knows the church needs some chastising. Right? Sometimes the church goes wayward from the Lord. Sometimes the church is not listening or following the word of God anymore. And God uses this because he loves his people. He wants to draw them back to himself again and trust in him. He always does it. When we see it, he always does it for the benefit of his people and for the good of his people. God never, ever, ever does it for the harm of his people. Well, God used these horns, these powers to chastise his people because they were not listening to him. Said earlier too, right? They were worshiping other gods. Other things had priority rather than the kingdom of God. They were breaking the Sabbath. They were not meeting together. And the Lord used those nations, right, to remind them of their special relationship that the Lord had established with them. You're mine. What what are you doing walking away from me? You belong to me. I want that relationship. He was jealous. We saw that in the first vision. He's jealous for his people. Like a husband is for his wife. Don't, Don't walk away after other men. You belong to me. They wouldn't listen. And finally, God says, okay, I have, to, I have to use these hostile powers to, to wake you up, to alert you to what's really happening, to know that I'm the one in charge. You trust me. Wow. The prophet Ezekiel, repeatedly, if you look throughout the prophet Ezekiel, he says that the Lord himself would scatter his people among strange nations if his people would not listen to him. Right? We all think about it. We all see the need to discipline our children. We discipline our children not because we don't like them, but because we cherish, we cherish them, we love them, and we want to correct them. We want to restore them into that relationship. That's, that's always God's purpose. His purpose is never to isolate and abandon his people in times in dark times, but to hold them close to him that, hey, you trust me. Ezekiel 12, 15. God says, I'm going to send them out. He says, then they shall know that I am the Lord. God cherishes that relationship, that covenant relationship with his people. You know, notice here, he mentions four horns. Why four? Why four horns? Well, in the Bible, the four often relates to the, or refers to the four corners of the earth. North, south, east, West. So I don't think it necessarily refers to four specific nations, but it just simply refers to the surrounding hostile military powers that are continually surrounding the church. And when you just look at that, it's dark. It's dark. And you become insecure. And you begin to shake. Verse 21 says that they scatter Judah 
And that's the church, so that they could no longer lift their head. When you're weighed down with oppression, it's hard to even lift up your head. That's how they were. That's what they were experiencing in those days. And yet, they knew that God is with them. He says, you trust in me, and you're safe. You know that. God's people could not see. They they could hardly see the light anymore. Uh, They couldn't see, and of course they couldn't, they couldn't see how history would continue to unfold in the opening and the flowering of Christ and even more big and better things to come. Everything looked dark. You notice in the beginning of the vision, there's no mention of the Lord. It's just, immediately he just saw the four horns. Everything just looked dark. That's all Zechariah saw. Hostile powers, horns, surrounding people from all sides. You know, witness in our day, right? The spiritual powers. Hey, these spiritual powers, they want now to attempt to control what you think and what you should not think. What you should say and what you should not say. Okay? They, they are telling you what you should teach your children and what you should not teach your children. And people become very afraid. Right? Because when they become afraid, right, they silence themselves. They're afraid to speak. That's oppression. That's oppression. And basically, it's an attack, an assault on the Word of God. Come on in. It's an assault. It's an attack, really, against God's people. And when you see these things, look at it in that, in that, in that light. Look at it in that light. You have Babel, and you have Christ. You have Klaus Schwab, and you have Christ. Well, all Zacharias saw at the beginning of his vision was horn after horn and more horns and horns and horns and horns. Darkness. You know, if they and if we did not have God's promises, if we didn't have God's word, it would only be darkness, wouldn't it? But we know we do have God's word. We do have his promises. This is our light. And it's sure light. It's, we can trust in his word. Oh, if all this, if, if this world is all that there is, then yeah, it's very dark. Dark place. But you know what? God reminds his people, I give you my promises. You trust them. You believe them. And when you believe them, you see. And you see what? You see something more than the horns. You see one who sits on the throne. And that's the next part of the vision. All of a sudden we are introduced to the Lord. <laughs> it doesn't, the vision doesn't open up with the Lord. The Lord just shows him this. It's all darkness. And now it comes, no, no, the Lord is the center. He's in charge. He's in control. He's a sovereign one. And notice, capital L-O-R-D. He's the, the he's Yahweh. The one who is for his people, with his people, committed to his people. 
Don't look at things around you. I'm using them for your benefit. But you look to me. And that comes to that second part of the vision. Verses 20 and 21. And then, then the Lord shows Zechariah the four craftsmen. Yes, the Lord becomes front and center. Verse 20, the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And there he is. No longer horns. The horns have disappeared. It's the Lord. He's, he's the center. In him, history turns. It doesn't turn in any one person in this world. They may attempt to turn history, but it's in the Lord. The Lord turns history. In him, history turns. He's the one who stands out. The Lord ought to stand out, ought to be central, ought to be the focus in our hearts and minds. And fear vanishes. That's where our security is. In the Lord. Victory belongs to him. The Lord shows the four craftsmen. They're coming to do something. Yes, the Lord. He's the name of the true and living God. He's the one whom we can trust. He's the one who acts for his people on the basis of what he says in the Bible. And what he says in the Bible, he will most certainly do. And there's no power on earth that can negate what God has in mind, what he has in plan to do, what he will carry out, what he has intended to carry out. There's nothing that can quash that, nothing that can make that void. He will carry out his sovereign purposes. Zechariah says in verse 21, and I said, what are these coming to do? And the angel who's beside him interpreting the vision to him says, the craftsmen are coming to do what? To terrify them. To cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. Craftsmen? <laughs> Usually when you think of craftsmen, you don't think of military weapons. You think of builders. Hammers? Right? Carving stones? What do you mean these horns are going to be terrified? I mean, such simple people. Craftsmen? It's an image of weakness. Image of maybe a, sometimes a passivity. Uh, they're not there to necessarily fight. Right? Wise craftsmen. Well, we know the word in the scriptures is often used for carpenters or stonemasons. Think of the temples. Uh, Solomon's temple, the tabernacle. Sculptors. In this Bible, in the Bible, the term is often used in connection with those who were called to construct or to build in Exodus, the tabernacle, and then later, in the time of Solomon, the temple. There were craftsmen hired. There were craftsmen who were called to carve the stones, to chisel them, to make the temple beautiful and imposing. So you take, for example, it's just beautiful how you see the craftsmen connected to, for example, Exodus 38. If you go back to Exodus 38, 23, it talks about a certain man. His name was Aholiab. Okay, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan. Who was he? He was an engraver and a designer. In other words, a very skillful workman. A weaver of blue, purple, scarlet thread, and a fine linen. <laughs> How are this horn going to be terrified of a man like that? How is a horn going to be thrown out or cast out by a person like this? Or 1 Kings 7.14. 
speaks of Huram, right? He was also involved in constructing the temple. It says, a bronze worker, filled with wisdom and understanding and skill and working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to the king, Solomon, and did all his work. So yeah, 1 Kings 7, 14. We'll give you one more reference. 1 Kings 12, 11. Talks about those who had their oversight of the house of the Lord and they paid it out to the carpenters, the builders who worked on the house of the Lord. Right, so craftsmen, there were workers, there were builders of the house of the Lord. And here in this vision, Zechariah observes that they have come to terrify, to cast out those horns, the horns of the nations. Those horns, those surrounding hostile powers are no match. <laughs> they are no match for these craftsmen in verses 20 and 21. These craftsmen are workers of the temple. And the question is, how are they going to terrify? How are they going to cast them out? Well, think about it. The casting of the horns does not come through their own power. What are they building? In that time, what were they rebuilding? The temple. And who was going to come and dwell among them? Who's going to be with them? Whose presence and power would be with them? The Lord. Verse 20, the Lord who is center, who is above all, he is going to come and dwell with the builders, the craftsmen of his house. And of course we know, as we move 500 years later, okay, the temple was fulfilled in whom? In Christ. John 1.14 says, And he tabernacled among us. Right? He uses the tabernacle. He dwelt among us. Right? He became flesh and lived among us. He's the one who came to purchase his bride, his people, to pay for all their sins, rise from the dead, and be exalted to the right hand of God. And it says in 1 Peter 3, angels, authorities, powers, I also call it, includes horns, those horns, having made subject to Christ. <laughs> and if the world realizes this, it would be terrifying. It is terrifying. This means that everything revolves around him, around Christ. And this means that they need to turn to him in repentance and faith if they would have life. But if not, they will be cast out in the lake of fire forever and ever. Christ is coming again. Right? The final turning point in history. And those who have not trusted Christ obeyed him. Revelation 6, for example, pictures what the kings, the mighty, the rich, the great, the commander, the slave, the free, and they're talking to the rock and the, and the rocks and the mountains. Fall on us. Hide on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is referring to the Christ. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? <laughs> the Lord. You know? The world doesn't take note. 
The world doesn't take note of you know, so-called insignificant, weak church throughout the world. But the Lord has his craftsmen placed all throughout the world from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. You yourselves are his craftsmen. His craftsmen, his workers, builders of the church. You belong to his kingdom. Well, of course, that raises the question, what ways are you his craftsmen? You have his word. You have his spirit. His presence, his power fills the body of the church. Right? It fills the body of Christ. You have his power and presence with you. Think about this. Raising children. Raising children. Living stones. Shaping, molding children as craftsmen. Using the tool of God's word so that they may grow in the fear of the Lord. Nothing is more terrifying than when they see and can't explain why children are the way they are as opposed to what they see in the world. This is past week. We took a class of students into a, into a gurdwara. And the first question the, the Granti said is, had the children removed the tobacco from their pockets? They were from a Christian high school. And I said, well, they have no tobacco. Oh, oh. And at the end, one of them said, I've never, I, I, I don't see students like this. I mean, they're on, on their, their vaping, or their marijuana, or their drugs. But that, there was a certain awe and also a certain respect for what they saw. And I think maybe even a bit of a fear. Wow. Something of the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit coming through in their lives. That is the most important kind of craftsman that we can be. A craftsman that's from generation to generation, molding, shaping children to become living stones in the temple, the temple of the living God. The horns of the world know that. Why do you think that they want so hard, they try so hard to take your children when they're very young, already in daycare, <laughs> we don't want them with you, especially not with Christians. Here, Christians, we offer free daycare for you, well, maybe $10 a day. We want to form the minds of your children. We want to be their horns, right? And then we want to, we want to uh, form their minds through public education. They know that. They're afraid because they know that the victory of Christ belongs with God's people. Oh yeah, you become careful to use your skill for his glory. And yeah, even among one another, as fellow members in the body, serving, building one another up in love, with patience, and with joy. His craftsmen, right? Share the word of God with family, with neighbors, with newcomers. And as they come to faith, Right? carving, shaping others by the word of God to become that victorious temple in the Lord. Skilled craftsmen, serving your head, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the world, we look so weak, so, so insignificant, maybe easily controlled, and yet in this vision, 
what do we see? A strange combination, right, of power and weakness. And yet, the weakness overcoming the strong. God is doing his work quietly. It's not necessarily with great alarm sound bells, but very quietly and powerfully in your midst, in families, in the church, in your place of work, using the chisel of his word. People take note. And remember those words a little bit later in Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. 1 John 5, verse 4 says, And this is... um, I think I have the wrong verse here. Okay. Anyway, and also Romans 8, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, right? Through him, in Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Your stand, your stand in Christ, terrifies them. It really does. When they see peace, when they see joy, when they see confidence, when they see the courage of Christ, which the world does not have, which the world does not have. Why? They're insecure. They're afraid. Often the world comes to us as a picture of a lion. Roar! Big and loud. But inside, they're scared and shivering like a little mouse. And yet you see the church standing firm. And not even death can make us change our thinking. Right? Because Christ's love is so strong, it will keep us and hold us in life and in death. We stand strong in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, 28. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. The future does not belong to anybody here on earth. The future is in the hands of Christ. Christ alone. And nothing happens. Nothing in this world happens outside of his notice. Nothing happens outside of his plan. And yeah, remember the craftsmen. You're his craftsmen. And the Lord's presence and power among us. That's what's going to terrify. And it's the Lord who will ultimately cast them out into the lake of fire. Remain faithful. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his promises. Stand firm. What should be your response? Just continue what you're doing. Let them make all the noise out there. But you continue quietly trusting the Lord, serving him, raising your families, serving one another, building up the temple. Because the temple, because the head of the temple is the victorious one. We rest our case in him. And he will reign forever and ever. And we with him. Amen.